From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode seven of What's Wrong With Revenue. Today we're going to talk about tools and technology to improve performance. It's a huge topic uh, and we've got a ton of questions that have been submitted. So obviously this is an issue that a lot of people are dealing with. Eric, we missed you last week. We had some guest hosts that filled in for you. They did an admirable job, but it's just not the same without you. What were you up to last week? I was in the air and it's very hard to do a live cast when you're flying. Sure. And the people next to you might not have appreciated it, right? especially when I was animated and smacking them in the face with my hands. Right. And where are you today? You're, you're on the road as well. Today, I'm at an entrepreneur's conference in Washington, D.C., uh, Go EO, uh, my first conference in two years. Uh, that's live. Good. Well, uh, wear a mask and uh, enjoy yourself. Promise to be safe. And thanks. A big shout out to Kristen and Bob for uh, towing the line. Yeah, they did. A, they did a nice job. So, um, real quickly, a little bit of housekeeping I like to do at the beginning of the show. So we are broadcasting live on Facebook. If you're ever interested in checking that out, uh, all of the shows are now available at the Square Two website. At the bottom, there's a in the footer, there's a link to What's Wrong with Revenue, where you can take a look at all the shows right there on our website. You can also subscribe and get notified of upcoming shows as well as recordings of the show after the show is over. And you can also submit your questions that we will handle live on the show. You can also watch the show on YouTube uh, at the Square Two Marketing channel. All the shows are posted there a day or so after the show is over. And the podcast version of the show is available on all of your favorite podcast networks. Also, you may have noticed, uh, Eric and I mentioned uh, the show last week. Uh, we skipped a topic, which we did mention in episode five, I believe, around uh, how you get uh, how you drive revenue through your customer base. So I just want to let everyone know we are going to come back to that. Um, I scheduled that, I think, in episode nine or so. So we didn't forget about it. We're going to get around to it. It's an important topic, and I didn't want to miss it. So we will come back to that. But today, we're going to talk about technology. If you're struggling to grow revenue, you might not have the right tools. There is so much to do today to get the to, to get the revenue equation right. You really need more than a CRM. Now, Eric and I talk to a lot of businesses and almost all of them have some kind of CRM. Might not be the exact right CRM, but they all have a lot of CRM. Not as many have marketing automation, not as many have, have service uh, automation. But you really need to start thinking about a revenue growth platform that includes marketing sales and service all in one place. And, and really, this is to make it easier on you. There are a lot of ways to combine different best of breed tools to put this together. And I'm not in any way suggesting that's not an okay idea. But you really want to start to use these tools to help automate communications, track behavior, 
provide the ability to upgrade the prospect or the customer's digital experience with your company. So when they give you data, when they tell you a little bit about them, you can start to personalize the experience when they come back to your website or sales knows what website pages prospects have been on so they can start the conversation with some context. The data also helps you uncover insights that are going on in, in your experience. And without technology, you're really running in the dark. You're really trying to do something that's highly complex with one hand tied behind your back. So we're gonna talk about all of these issues today. Uh, I also wanna make sure that we're gonna cover what some marketing automation technologies might be and what they can do for you. We wanna talk a little bit about your CRM and whether it's helping you or hurting you, uh, customer service technology and what you would use with that. Honestly, that's usually the third of the three areas that we're asked to help with. And I have some theories as to why that is. Um, some of the advantages of a platform-based tool as opposed to point solutions, all of these things we'll try to cover off today. And when we're done, I hope you have a much better idea of how technology can help you. I hope you feel like technology is something you want to invest in and you understand and have a pretty good idea how to use it and maybe some expectations in terms of what performance improvements might look like. So that's a lot. Eric, you want to comment on any of that? No, I think that sums it up. I'm ready to start. Okay, great. So let's just talk a little bit about what these tools do and how they help companies. So when we're trying to break down everything that needs to happen to create this amazing experience that we've been talking about, when we talked about the buyer journey, that's kind of the framework for the experience. There's so much to do. For instance, when someone visits your website, they have to see content. content, content has to be fresh. So you need to blog on a regular basis. You need to be publishing content to your website. You need CTAs on your website. You need ungated content that has to be updated fairly regularly. Uh, you need pillar pages that provide a really deep and, and rich educational experience. You need your website to be optimized for search and for mobile. I mean, right there, I talked about one tactic, the website, and there were probably 10 things that need to get done just around the website. When you're talking about your blog, you want it to be posted automatically. You want people to, who have subscribed to the blog to be notified. Um, you want the blog to try to turn visitors into leads potentially. Uh, if you're going to run uh, lead nurturing campaigns for people did convert. You want to build those and have them run behind the scenes so that you don't have to worry about keeping them triggered manually. Like there's just so much to do. It's literally impossible to do it without automation. And that's just a small slice of the marketing automation. When we get on the sales side, Eric, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the sales motions that need to happen to deliver a really amazing sales experience and how a CRM would help you do some of those things. Sure, well, the CRM is simply the, the tool that we use to continue the buyer's journey. When they've converted from an MQL or marketing qualified lead to a SQL or sales qualified lead, now all of a sudden the CRM takes over. And we wanna make sure that we're providing content throughout the sales process so we can archive that and quickly pull from it. 
We need templates written because sales sometimes is a bit repetitive. We're following up the same way in multiple uh, multiple prospects. We want to have those templates written so we don't have to waste time rewriting them all the time. And of course, we want insight into, are they opening my emails? What pages are they going to? Do they respond to our nurture campaigns? Do we have sales sequences set up that'll follow up on some of the salespeople activity? So once again, it's all baked into a good CRM. You know, Mike, uh, nobody goes into their accountant's office at the end of the year with a shoebox full of paper receipts anymore. Mostly every business has invested in some kind of accounting software so that we can get the insights we need for different areas of your business. Inventory, accounts receivable, accounts payable, cash, uh, ratios and metrics, right? We need all that to run our businesses. So just like QuickBooks is the software that runs the accounting part of your business, HubSpot and other marketing automation platforms that we work in run the sales and marketing and customer service part of your business. So, you know, a lot of people put a lot of value into accounting software. The same weight should be given to your sales and marketing software to get those efficiencies that we seek. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if we're going to continue talking about the experience, then we have to look at the customer experience also. If you're a customer service rep or you're leading the customer service team, I would think you would want to know what products and services the customer has purchased, what products and services the customer was interested in. If you find that someone is, uh, your customers are asking you the same question over and over again, you want to arm your customer service reps with content that answers that question. You may even push that content into sales or onto your website in an FAQ section so that or in a knowledge base so that people can find that answer on their own, making the customer service reps more efficient. You might want to create a video that the reps can then say to customers, hey, let me send you this video that will answer this question or show you how to do this. A lot of people have the same problem you do. You want to know that. Also, the way people interact with companies today is there are a number of channels. So they may be messaging you on Facebook. They may be posting to Twitter. They may be filling out a ticket request on your website. They may be uh, filling out a contact us form on your website and customer service needs to know this. They, they need to have a single stream for all these different channels and they need to be able to respond to those channels quickly. So customer service software can integrate those channels and provide a single stream to customer service reps so they can see what the conversation has been. They can see what channel they came in. They can make sure they respond promptly. You, you all know how you feel when you have a question and you submit it to a company and they don't get back to you. you. You start to get nervous. You start to get anxious. You start to feel less positive about that brand. There's some incredible statistic that people are very likely to forgive a company who made a mistake if you respond and recover quickly as opposed to those you don't. And it's like 95%. So if a company makes a mistake and they can recover quickly, all is forgiven. If they don't recover quickly, then you know, 10 people tell 10 times as many people when they have a bad experience as they do when they have a good experience. So this idea of arming the customer service reps to understand what's going on and respond quickly is very important. And there's a lot of software that provides tools for them to be able to do that. Also, they can check in on customers from time to time with surveys and net promoter score questions, which is how likely would you be to refer some, you know, the company to a friend or family member. Um, 
these tools are, are, are required today for business. And if you're not thinking like this, then you really need to be thinking differently about your, your technology platform. Now, well, Mike, I mean, I think it's a decision that leadership of a company has to make, right? What kind of experience do you want your clients to have? Now, everybody's going to say, well, I want them to have a good ex experience, right? But all companies have a decent experience. If you want to compete, if you want to differentiate your company, you need some kind of advantage. And the software that we're talking about gives you that advantage. So but besides going into the technical details of nurture campaign and sales sequences and those things that you mentioned earlier, I think even bigger strategically, people have to ask themselves, how do I want to stand out amongst the sea of competitors? Do I want to be the fastest response? Do I want to give them every platform to talk to me on and make it easy? Do I want to make less friction in my buying process by thinking about how they're going to go to my website and engage with me? Because if you do desperately want to give that experience to your prospective buyers, you got to have some kind of technology. Yeah, I think Eric's making a very good point. It's no longer an option. It's really a requirement. You, you really have to start laying this kind of technology foundation in if you want to be competitive, because I guarantee your competitors are already thinking about this. They may already be doing it. You don't want to be behind. You want to be leading. And like I said, I don't think this is optional anymore. So let, let's talk about some of the specifics of how you might go about assessing technology, thinking about technology, looking at some of the technology options, and then we're going to answer some questions because I, 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 we haven't had this many questions yet in a, in a session that we've done here in an episode. So I want to try to get to as many of these questions as possible. And again, if you are uh, involved in the show and you want to ask questions, you can ask us questions live by clicking the Q&A button in the Zoom meeting. And you can also submit questions in advance by going to the What's Wrong With Revenue page on our website. So, Eric, you can probably talk to this a little bit, and then I'll add some color. Help the uh, audience understand the difference between point solutions for specific areas of the business and maybe a platform solution that kind of tries to handle everything. Yeah. So, you know, I'm usually the first contact when someone reaches out to our company to talk about marketing and sales support, right? So one of the early questions is, tell me about your technology, right? What does your tech stack look like? And a lot of people are like, well, we use MailChimp to send out emails and we have um, uh, Hootsuite, which uh, manages our social and we're on WordPress for our uh, website and they go on and on. And the reason that that typically happens is because it happens very organically. You come up with a need and you say, oh, well, we want to send emails to our clients. Let's get a service. Should we go for constant contact or MailChimp? And then you pick one and you move forward. Then you realize you have another need. So once again, tactics before strategy. How we always preach is strategy before tactics. What can I do to have a tool that will give me broad communication across all steps or touch points of the buyer's journey is a better question to ask. So when you look at a tool like HubSpot, and you know, our agency and all transparency of one is HubSpot's largest agency partner. So we're all about HubSpot. So we'll use HubSpot as the placeholder for all marketing automation technology. When you look at a platform like HubSpot, it replaces all of these uh, 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 point solutions, but not only that, it integrates them. And that's really the key thing. So if I'm using HubSpot, every activity that I'm doing that engages with my uh, prospective or current clients is captured in one central content stream. So I'll give you a quick example. 
if I'm about to get on the phone with a prospective client, I go to their HubSpot record. And I see what their activity was. Did they open emails that we have? What pages of the website were they on? I say, ah, they've been going to a lot of our pages that are around new website development or how effective a website should be. So seeing that, I'm using that business intelligence to prepare myself for that sales call. So I will go in and do some website grading. I'll use some search engine optimization tools to show them what is happening with their website from an SEO perspective. Now, when they get on the call and I say, well, what would you like to talk about? And they say, well, we were thinking about redoing our website. I'm prepared because I cheated a little bit using the data to say, well, here's some of the things you might want to consider. And I give them a wonderful 30-minute conversation. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. I'm just using the tools at hand in order to see the entire buyer's journey in one central street. Could I prepare for that call by going to MailChimp and seeing if they open up emails and then going over to Hootsuite and seeing if they responded to my social media posts? Of course I can. And it actually might be a little cheaper because those are single point solutions that might be $29, $49, $99 a month as opposed to HubSpot, which might be a thousand bucks a month. But the all-in-one platform is a decisive advantage from time savings and more so consolidating the data into one point where I can obviously see the behavior your own one place. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly good explanation of the difference between point solutions and and also how people tend to get involved with point solutions. Like a lot of people, their very first website might have been on WordPress because it was free and it was easy to get started and they just kept it on WordPress because it was free and they, you know, things grew up around it and we got this for that. I think that's also a very common scenario. And eventually companies get to a size where they need to really evaluate whether those point solutions are fulfilling their needs or not, and potentially grow into something a little more thought out and a little more, uh, you know, I'll say organized, but one that gives them enhanced functionality and more opportunities to optimize and a much more streamlined user experience so that they can be more efficient in their delivery. Again, like I mentioned, there's so many things for marketers to do. There's so many things for salespeople to do. There's so many things for customer service people to do. You want to make it easy and you want to make it efficient for them to, to do their job. So, Well, let me give you a quick example, Mike, because I think that that's an important point. We're working with a client and they got about 14 salespeople. And of course, they started with marketing to generate more leads for the salespeople. And then the salespeople started to become overwhelmed because now they had twice as much work because they had twice as much opportunities. Instead of hiring more salespeople, we leaned into their CRM, setting up more automated things, adding more things to their archive of content, giving them templates to save time. And the same 14 people now with a technology backbone were able to handle twice the amount of opportunities without spending another dime. That's the power of a good technology strategy. That's a great example. All right, let's do a couple of questions because there are so many. And some of these we've been kind of talking around, but let's answer them directly. So uh, let's see, John from Philadelphia wrote, uh, we have a CRM, we don't have a single mark, we don't have a single marketing automation platform. Instead, we use a, co a collection of tools like uh, Constant Contact for email, Google for metrics. Why would something more expensive be needed? And I know you talked about it a little bit, but let's just, go a little deeper, right? So there's really nothing wrong with having these point solutions, except that you do have to hop around from system to system. And I think there's, it, it also is more challenging when it comes to understanding the performance of the program. So it's one thing to go into constant contact and look at email, but you can't really compare what's going on 
with your email list to what's going on on the website because constant contact doesn't really have any data from the website. So then you have to go over to Google and look at, you know, how is the website performing from a search perspective? How's it performing from a conversion perspective? You might have coded it properly in order to find out where people are coming from, and you might have some insight into the email campaigns. But, you know, we see more and more companies that have not correctly connected these tools. So they don't provide the insights that you really need to make good decisions. And while, yes, it's more expensive to move to something like HubSpot, I think you really have to consider HubSpot as more than just email marketing and more than just website hosting, but the, the toolkit that you need to build an amazing house. Now, HubSpot, as an example, is not going to tell you what to do, but it is going to give you all the tools you need to create an amazing experience for your prospect. You still have to know how to use those tools. You know, even the greatest carpenter, if they don't know how to build the house, the, ha the hammer only hits the nail. If they don't know how to use the hammer or they don't know how to use the tools, they're not going to get a great house. So they still have to know how to build the house. They still have to know how to execute the program. But at least you're getting all the tools in one single place to create this amazing experience. So I think the expense when you look at it is going to easily be justified when you start driving more opportunities, when you start generating more leads, when you start closing leads more quickly, when you start closing leads um, at a higher clip. So not only is your sales cycle decreasing, but your close rate is increasing. To Eric's point- well, Hold you, on, you hold on more, a second, Mike. Let's make sure John from Philadelphia realizes we're talking about a thousand bucks a month or so, right? Not $50,000 a month. So if he closed one more deal per month, because he has these advantages that we've been outlining, it's a wash. The second deal is profit. I mean, it's really not that much more expensive, but I think another comparison is Slack. Think about what Slack did to change the way we work, right? We could get into a group and everybody could be chatting about a specific topic or a client or whatever, but think about it before we had Slack. I'd have to go to Mary and ask her, how's this part of the project coming? And I have to go to John and ask him for a report on that part of the project. But in Slack, it brought it all together. And HubSpot's the same exact way. It's taking all these little activities that are going on in and around the client experience and bringing them all together into one place so that we can now clearly see what's going on. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. And I also think, because the, the next question is like, you know, what's so great about HubSpot? So not to get so nerdy, but to dig a little deeper. Look, a lot of the companies we work with, they have different systems for different areas of the business. And now we're not talking about point solutions. We're talking about companies that might have Salesforce for sales and Zendesk for service and HubSpot for marketing. That's a very common configuration at a lot of the clients that we end up working with. And you can make HubSpot work with those different products, but that takes work from a company like us to help them integrate those systems. So again, without going too deep into the technology, you have to make HubSpot talk to Salesforce. You have to make HubSpot talk to Zendesk. You have to make Zendesk talk to Salesforce and Salesforce talk to HubSpot. And while that's possible, those are typically integration projects, projects that cost, require investment and time and, and expertise to make those two systems talk to each other. And one of the things Eric and I like about HubSpot is if you do buy the entire suite and you do buy the platform, that integration project, that integration investment, the time to get those systems to talk to each other is, is erased out of the box. You have systems that talk to each other and share data and will always remain connected no matter what happens. So 
If it sounds like we're bullish on HubSpot, it is because look, most of the companies we work with are middle to small businesses. They don't always have the money to invest in a complicated integration project. And honestly, Eric and I would prefer that money go towards campaign funding and generating leads and enhancing the sales process and enhancing the customer service process as opposed to getting the disparate systems to talk to each other. So if we are a little bullish on HubSpot, it's because it's really the only platform product that helps in all three areas. Salesforce does have similar services, but we're just not as bullish on the marketing product that Salesforce offers. Um, and again, in full transparency for HubSpot shop. So yeah, we're going to promote HubSpot a little bit. Yeah, we don't have to apologize. We're 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 a pro, the hottest uh, software product on, on the planet right now. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that um, I, I think a lot of people come to is they have some kind of CRM, like you you said that earlier, right? But they rarely have marketing automation platform, and sometimes they have a content management system, or maybe it's something that was custom built. But a lot of times that CRM is either underutilized, and I wanted to talk about that for a second, where they're just using it as like a telephone book as opposed to all the power. So I want to make sure we emphasize that even if you got the platform, you got to roll up your sleeves, you got to turn it on, be patient, get by it, make sure your team is trained to embrace it. Because only when you've embraced 80% or more of the platform do you start to get really the valuable uh, uh, data and then the results that you're looking for. So, um, you know, I had a uh, prospective client. We talked about how they were on Zoho and they wanted to switch to HubSpot. So I said, why do you want to switch? They go, well, nobody's using Zoho. So I said, well, if you're not getting buy-in on Zoho, how are you going to get buy-in on HubSpot? And then we created a whole training program around the HubSpot implementation to make sure that we had adoption. So I just wanted to highlight that, that tools are great, but you got to really get the team involved. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so here's another question from Jessica in San Diego, which talks about uh, how long would it take to get software like this installed? How long before people start using it? To your point, Eric, how long before we start seeing results? You want to try to tackle that? Well, uh, it's not hard, right? So it, let's talk about a basic HubSpot implementation. 30 days or less, including the training. Not hard for a straight up integration uh, implementation. Now, lots of times, as you said earlier, people want to integrate HubSpot with Salesforce. Okay, add another month or so for that, because we have to make sure that we're mapping the fields and making sure that there's perfect two-way communication, stress testing the whole system, making sure that we include all of the business processes and data points that the company wants to see and so forth. So you're talking about for a typical non-HubSpot CRM uh, integration with a HubSpot implementation, 60 days beginning to end, and that includes the training. So not that long. Yeah, and to answer the rest of the question, how long before people start using it? You know, that that's something that differs company to company. This has to be a buy-in at the very highest level, right? If you're in the marketing department, Jessica, and you're trying to push this uphill in your company, you're probably not going to be successful. I think you, you really have to make sure that this buy-in starts at the C-suite and rolls downhill. This is what we're going to be doing. Everybody is going to be using it. The marketing team is using it to plan campaigns and to uh, report on performance with dashboards that they're sharing across the company. The sales team is using it for every single uh, prospect piece of outreach. Uh, the sales leadership is going into HubSpot to look at sales rep performance and to do forecasting and to track deal statuses. 
the executives are, are looking at their own dashboards to track performance. The customer service team and the finance team, everyone has to be on board for this to be successful. There have been, there's been a lot written about how this is more of a change management exercise than anything else. If the company has not embraced this kind of technology, has not embraced CR, the CRM as the core uh, um, source of truth in the company, then I think you're going to have a much more challenging uphill battle getting people to use this. And to answer the last part of your question, how long before we start seeing results? Well, again, if you can get everybody on it and you can get them all trained up in a month or two, I promise you, you will start seeing results in the third month because A, the reps will be much more efficient. The campaigns will be performing more efficiently. People will have access to data that they never had before, which means the decision-making process will be upgraded uh, you won't be flying by the seat of your pants. People won't be talking about, well, I think this and I think that. And in my opinion and in my past experiences, those kind of comments at meetings go away. It's like, well, show me what's going on. Well, 25% of the people are opening our emails. There's no longer any like comment, well, is email marketing working or not? Like, there it is. Like, you know exactly how well it's performing. How's the website doing? Well, I think it's doing pretty good. People tell us they like it. Like that conversation is over. We got a thousand people from organic last month and that's 200 more than we got the month before. That's a 20% increase, like good for us. So uh, it really changes the conversation. I also think that once you start having conversations like that, it's a little um, addicting. And what I mean by that is you'll start wanting to do more and more of, of that. You'll, you'll start wanting to look at the information in more detail so that you can come to the meetings armed with facts and figures and really be able to inform the team so that you can make more solid decisions. So I don't think it's going to take very long to get results. Now, Mike, talk about uh, pilot programs and Tiger teams. On, in yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, especially when it comes to sales. So we have a lot of experience working with sales teams and not to disparage sales at all. We love the sales team, but they're not always the first to throw their hand up when it comes to change. They like what they're doing. They've been successful doing it. Doing things differently is going to be a distraction. And I wouldn't recommend you take the entire sales team and roll HubSpot out to all 50 people on day one. What I would suggest you do, and this is typically what we recommend to clients, is start with a small pilot. So if you do have 50 sales reps, grab five or six of them who are excited about the idea and get them involved in the pilot. Train them, introduce them to the tool, get feedback from them on what they like and what they don't like about it, make adjustments, have them help you with the documentation and the training for the rest of the team, really involve them in the rollout in a productive way and let them use it for a couple of months. Now, what's going to happen, and this is where the beauty part of this is, when they start to see results, when they can tell their peers, hey, you know, I, I hit my quota this month and I probably wouldn't have done it if I didn't have the insights that I got from the CRM, like pretty soon other people are going to be coming up to you and saying like, hey, can I, can I get access to the CRM? I really want to be part of this pilot. Like what's going on over there? They seem like they're having success. They're excited. Like I, I want to be part of this also. It'll bring everybody else in. And then when you stand up in front of the other 45 salespeople and you're like, look, you know, Mary, John, Josh, Beth and, and Sandy were, have been using this for a couple of months and they all hit their quota last month. You're going to have a much better uh, response from the rest of the team than if you just stand up there and say to them, hey, everybody, <clears throat> this is what we're going to be doing. 
like it or not, everyone has to start working differently. So it, it, it's just a best practice that we've seen a lot of success. So I highly recommend you, you do it too. It will elongate your rollout, but I think it's a smarter way to get buy-in, show results with, with a manageable group of people, as opposed to herding all 50 cats all at once uh, with a, a broader rollout. Agreed. Cool. Okay. So we got another question. This is, this is a good one. It talks a little bit about money. So this is from Dave in Texas. Dave, uh, what should we be budgeting for these tools going into 2022? Now, Eric mentioned $1,000 a month and that, that there are some configurations where it might be that, but let's just talk about all, th uh, all of the HubSpot products just to give you like a worst case scenario or like a top of the budget idea here. So if you're a relatively average, high-end, small to low-end, mid-sized business, and you're looking for marketing automation software, you're probably looking at the pro product of HubSpot, which might be somewhere in the neighborhood of, with a decent-sized contact database, uh, $1,500 a month. If you're going to put your website on the CMS, that might be another $800 a month. And then for the sales and the service modules, they generally run pretty parallel. So for five reps or so, you might be looking at five or $600 a month. And the same thing with customer service, five or $600 a month. So all in, what is that? 3,000-ish or so? Ish, sure. Yeah, around 3,000. Like a lot of people start with just the marketing hub or a lot of people start with just the content management system for their website. And then they add as they go, as they start to uh, digest the different modules. Yeah, that's a good point. And we're talking about pro, which is the middle level for HubSpot. There's a starter level two where you could get in probably closer to Eric's thousand dollar recommendation for everything. And that might be okay for your company to get your feet wet and to start using it. Um, HubSpot does a wonder, not to feel like this is a HubSpot advertisement, but they do a wonderful idea, a wonderful um, uh, way in which they kind of introduce new features to you. So, you know, as you start to get better at using the tool and you're interested in advanced features, you can unlock them by upgrading. So it's a very easy way to upgrade various products over time. So, you, you, you know, you might need someone to coach you a little bit on what's appropriate. We do a lot of that in terms of helping our clients figure out what the right configuration is and how to stage it. But I think if you're thinking about budget for the entire suite, Somewhere between a thousand and three thousand dollars is probably a month is probably going to satisfy you in, in almost every scenario. Now, if you're enterprise and you have multiple domains that you want to put on the CMS and you have, you know, it, it, uh, um, uh, advanced lead scoring modules that you're trying to run, or uh, you have multiple companies that you want to put into the CRM with multiple pipelines, you know, then you're, you're probably looking at maybe two times that number for a bunch of advanced. Um, uh, enterprise level products at HubSpot, but still, I would I would highly recommend getting started at a lower level and growing into it. No one ever outgrows HubSpot, by the way. A lot of people ask me, well, what happens when we get bigger? Are we going to need something else? There's there's no way you will outgrow this. Um, get started with a budget that works for you and grow into it. By growing into it, you're also able to prioritize, right? So to Eric's point, we do have a lot of clients that start with only marketing pro and they continue using the CRM that they have. We help them connect it and they keep their website on WordPress. So we wrap some HubSpot forms around their WordPress website. And in a couple of months, they might say, okay, we're ready to move the website to HubSpot. So now they add that module to their 
HubSpot subscription. So it's very easy to grow into it. And if uh, investment is an issue or you want to go a little slower, that's probably something I would recommend. Sure. Good question. Um, let's answer another question. Okay. Uh, okay, here's one that, again, might help us explain this because I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if some people are thinking like, wow, this really sounds complicated. So this is from Pam in uh, Lansing, Michigan. How do agencies like yours help us with technology like this? So Eric, g give us a couple of examples, like maybe like ResinTech is a good one at the complicated side of things, but explain how we might help clients with technology like this. Well, I think it goes through discovery, right? What are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals and objectives, right? I would like to uh, have more sales is usually first, right? Let's talk about how the technology can help you have more sales, right? So the matching of the technology or the tech stack in general has to go to your goals and objectives. So for example, if you're a doctor's office and 95% of your business comes in through referral, right? And you're looking for more sales, wouldn't I do a campaign around referral marketing rather than search engine optimization? Sure. Now, I could say I, 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 I get as many referrals as I could possibly handle. I'm looking for new channels. What about people that are searching for a doctor? Okay, great. Now, there's two sides to that coin. How does the technology help us get there is only 10% of the conversation. The strategy of how we're going to run that campaign to attract those people is 90% of the conversation. So, uh, you know, you have to start with the big picture. What do we want to accomplish here? And then how do we apply the right technology? I had a, uh, uh, a group, uh, a community group that was using a, a CRM and marketing tool that was specific to like YMCAs. So they heard about HubSpot. They called us. We want HubSpot. I said, well, why do you want HubSpot? Well, we want HubSpot. We, we want more membership. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Well, you already have a tool that they're using for their customer service and their accounting. They just never looked at the marketing modules. So I said to them, well, you don't need HubSpot. You just need a little time to go open up and explore the marketing modules. When I went to this specific software's website, they had a whole conversation around how to attract new members this group just didn't take the time to go in there. So sometimes you don't need a HubSpot specific application. What you really need is an understanding of the strategy and then pick the right tool to match up with that. That's how I think our value as an agency helps people most is kind of figuring that all out and then applying the right technology. Another good example is chat. If you're not uh, uh, having conversational marketing, AKA chat on your website, you're missing a huge opportunity of what people want in a website. They don't want to submit a question and then two days later, your customer service team answered it. Want that answered right now. And if you can't get it right now through chat, well, that's something that your competitors might be offering that just gives them a little bit of a checkbox. Okay, we wanna add chat, which is the best chat tool. Sometimes the resident HubSpot chat tool is sufficient to get started on that conversational marketing strategy. Other times, if it's a bigger company or more complex, or we need some kind of artificial intelligence to answer a suite of questions, maybe Drift is a better example. And you can integrate that with HubSpot so that it's all once again uh, coordinated. So I think the bigger question is not how do we implement it, but how do we figure out what you need? And then how is that application going to help you get to the results you're looking for? Yeah, that's a good answer. I also think that, you know, our team and other agencies like ours have a lot of experience with these tools. So, you know, 
as opposed to your company trying to figure it out, adding someone that has a lot of experience cuts the learning curve, which means you start using it quicker. You start getting value out of it quicker. You could absolutely have someone figure it out over the course of the next year and do a little bit each day, which is going to prolong your return on investment and extend your ability to execute and use all the tools. So I think agencies like ours help fast track usage, help fast track results, help train your team in a more, uh, uh, in a quicker way. I mean, companies, all these companies have a, a ton of resources that they provide their use, uh, user base, but sifting through those videos and sifting through those articles and sifting through those training classes sometimes isn't the most efficient way to get people up to speed. Sometimes having a partner like us sitting next to them saying, like, oh no, do it like this. Oh, let me show you. Click, click, click. Okay. I get it. Now I know how to do it the next time might be more efficient, right? Having agencies like ours provide some documentation that's specific to your company might be better than looking at the general documentation that you're finding on the web or on the, on the technology company's website. So I think there are a lot of advantages to working with, with agencies to get this going quicker, to shortcut the ramp up and the rollout and, and start to see results from it more quickly. Awesome. Um, there's another really good question that I want to cover here because I think this is important. Um, this is from Heather in Dallas. Who typically uses this software in the company? And I think this is an interesting question because I don't think every company really has someone ready to use these products, right? And I'm not talking about the sales reps who would be using it to execute their sales process, but like who supports the sales rep? And is it the, the marketing manager who's going in there? Is it, a, is it the, 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 the vice president of marketing who's going in there? Is it the, you know, again, like I know the customer service reps would be keeping track of customer records and providing input into what they're talking about, but who's updating this? Who's setting this up? Who's generating the reports and, and the dashboards and who's setting up the automation? Who in a company typically ends up with the responsibility of, setting up and managing and maintaining and, and upgrading this technology platform? Well, in my experience, about 80 to 85% of the time, marketing takes responsibility for driving the HubSpot activity, right? And I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. The uh, uh, second place group, which is obviously much smaller, is IT. And IT has a role in HubSpot's conversation not so much lately because it's right out of the box, ready to go. And it's obviously software as a service. There's no need for servers and things like that. But lots of companies feel that they have to bring in IT because it is software. So a small percentage of the time, it, it's IT. But marketing really drives it. And marketing even drives it when they're running the CRM, even though the salespeople are using it. So uh, typically, you have to look at it in the form of marketing operations, right? There's a content person necessary at most companies now because we know that we need content in order to educate and persuade our clients to buy from us. But the content person skill set is different than running a piece of software. So person who understands marketing strategy, let's say a mid-level marketing manager, could run the operations part of it by setting it up and building the landing pages and triggering the nurtures and so forth. 
Now, the crossover, or I should say better, more the alignment between marketing and sales occurs when marketing says to sales, what can I do to help you? And we talked about this two episodes ago quite a bit, right? That sales and marketing alignment. But if I'm in marketing and I go and, and I know that altogether as a company, we're trying to increase our sales by 20%, I go to the sales folks and I say, hey guys, what can I do to help you, right? Oh, you know what? It would be great if right after the initial call, we could follow up with a template and a video that talks about this. Well, that's where the marketing team can execute what's called sales enablement, supporting the sales. So once again, marketing is driving that. Now, setting up a sales sequence is not that much different than setting up a automated workflow or a nurture campaign. So once again, the skill sets carry over, whether it's marketing or sales. So if I'm a CEO and I'm thinking about who should I assign in my company to drive this digital transformation or adoption of a new technology, I think the best move would be go to the marketing department. Yeah, that's really good advice. And just to add to that, um, there's a lot of conversation these days about revenue operations. And if you think about some of what Eric and I wrote in our book, Fire Your Sales Team Today, there's this concept of a revenue department that includes marketing, sales, and customer service and is managed by the chief revenue officer that now has accountability and responsibility for everything related to revenue. You know, the, the prospect buyer journey across all three areas, the ability for all three areas to generate leads, to close deals, and to harvest revenue from the customers or take really good care of the customers and drive up net promoter scores. I think that also leads to the answer of who should be managing this technology. And in a lot of progressive companies, it's revenue operations, which is sometimes referred, sometimes referred to as RevOps. The people who have a bit of a technology skill set, who understand the buyer journey across all three areas, who understand the technology, whether it's one platform or a variety of platforms, they understand the technology and how they work together. And they're responsible for keeping the technology up, op optimized, updated, maintained, connected. And that's a, a more progressive way to think about it. So Eric's right. This does fall on marketing quite frequently. But I think going forward, we're going to see more and more companies thinking like a revenue operations person that has this interesting combination of technology and operations, process thinking, systems, capabilities, and they know a lot about marketing, they know a lot about sales, they know a lot about customer service, and they're able to kind of put this all together and make the technology support all three areas. I also think if, and that is very hard to find that, that person. So uh, if you're thinking like, oh, that sounds great, I'm gonna hire that person. A, a lot of companies are looking for that now. A lot of agencies like ours are looking for that now. That's not an inexpensive role. And don't expect to find someone with 10 or 15 years of experience in RevOps because it's a new area. So you're going to find someone with two or three years experience, maybe, who's going to be asking for plus $100,000 a year because that's what these people are commanding in the market. And they're going to have multiple offers. So an alternative could potentially to find an agency that has RevOps experience and have them fill that role for you too. So again, I'm not in any way trying to promote what we do or how we help, but as an, just to educate you as an alternative to hiring, um, it's probably gonna be easier and probably less expensive to find an agency that already provides these services to at least gap fill until you can find the person you want to be part of your team long-term. Okay, anything you wanna add, Ar? No, it's, it's very uh, current, that, that piece of advice. It is, okay, good. So we answered a lot of questions. I want to real quickly do something that's a bit of a 
um, tag along from last week. And I'm going to share my screen because I want to do uh, my favorite segment, Love It or Leave It. Dun, dun, dun. The graphic is everything in this piece. Love it or leave it. Awesome. So, Eric, you missed last week's session, but I want to talk about email marketing as love it or leave it. And the context is with the changes Apple's made and the, the, the issues with privacy and regulation that's coming on, I want to talk about whether email marketing is something we want to continue to do or something we want to consider maybe uh, de-emphasizing or maybe taking off the table. So love it or leave it, Arcalis, email marketing. Question before I give my yes. very passionate. <laughs> okay, opinion. go ahead. Go ahead. Are we talking about torturing the heck out of people with cold emails or no. permission-based marketing? Yeah, we're talking about the kind of email we would recommend where where they've opted in, um, but but still understand the context of the question. But yes, we're not talking about cold emails. Good, because if this is about cold emails, I'll start throwing fists in a second. Right, right. I don't mean to disturb you, Mr. Lieberman, but if you could direct me to the person that runs your IT, <laughs> I'd be really appreciative. Can I grab five minutes to right. the, of your schedule? Right. Attention world, please stop that immediately. Right, right, right. When it Go comes ahead. to email marketing, I'm going to love it because email is still the number one form of communication that businesses have. And if you're trying to really build a case, email is, uh, is still a very viable uh, source. My challenge is what I alluded to two seconds ago is that all the bad marketers are ruining it for all the good marketers because to build a case via email, to nurture someone through a series of emails, to give them a delivery of a piece of content through email is still incredibly valuable. Only if your posture is, let me help you, as opposed to your posture being, let me sell you something. So Mike, I'm going to say, I love it. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, I'm going to agree with you. What? I'm not ready to give up on email marketing. I do think it's an extra challenging tactic. Um, I mean, look, we're going to have to start not looking at open rates because the open rates are going to be artificially inflated. So that's going to be a metric we're going to lose. So like testing subject lines, A-B testing subject lines is not going to be effective anymore. It's going to get harder. However, it is a highly efficient way to stay in touch with people. And I think if your content is good, then it's still gonna be effective. And even though it might be a little harder to get it out there, it might be a little trickier to manage. I still think it's a tactic that needs to be part of our repertoire. So I'm gonna love it, but I'm gonna love it under the context of, it's going to be harder. You're going to have to invest more time to make it better. You might have to rethink it a little bit. Kristen had a really interesting suggestion on last week's show around segmentation and personalization. I think we're going to have to really look at our databases differently. And we're really going to have to narrow them down. So, you know, instead of sending out a specific email to everybody in a vertical, or instead of sending a specific email out to everybody by role, uh, we may have to do vertical by role, right? So it's highly personalized and highly targeted. And that will be more work. Again, more reason to have a tool to help you manage that and to do that going forward. Um, 
you're going to have to more, spend more more effort on copywriting, right? Because yeah. you really want to be a valuable piece of content, not just an annoying uh, follow-up or, or, or torture device. Yeah, agreed. And and we're it also going to have to... It has to be strategic too, Mike. And that brings me back to uh, our company doing a very successful campaign around lead scoring. For those of you that don't know what lead scoring is, you assign point values to behaviors. If people go to your website, they get five points. If they register for your webinar, they get 20 points. If they uh, 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 post on social, they get 20 points. And when they reach a certain threshold, it converts them from an MQL to an SQL and alerts the sales team. Me being in the sales department, oh, sorry, the revenue department focused on sales, now I get these notifications. And rather than saying like, hey, can I sell you some marketing services in an email? I send him an email that says, hey, I saw you snooping around. And by the way, if you want more information, my partner, Mike, and I have written a book. Give me your UPS address and I'll send you one. They get about three or four a week. And then those three or four a week that go out, then there's a nice follow-up email that says, what do you think about the book? Do you think that these are the methodologies that might be appropriate? All along the way, trying to help them, trying to give them content, trying to get them to think differently, never selling. So there's a great way to use email as the bridge between the uh, company and the prospect that has nothing to do with selling. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you another practical example. And just so that everyone is aware of this, we try to, we have a core value called practice what we preach. And in terms of this particular conversation, it's relevant because we try a lot of things at Square Two before we recommend them to clients. We've never wanted to test ideas with clients. I don't feel like clients should be paying us to do experiments unless obviously they're, they're bought in, in the fact that we're going to run some experiments and we do for clients from time to time, but around this email thing, square two has been working on um, basically getting people to subscribe to very specific pieces of content. So for example, people are subscribing to the show. And when you subscribe to the show, you get emails about the show. So we're not emailing every single person in our database about the show all the time. We're only emailing the people that have asked to be emailed. We're about to roll out something called Square Two Plus, where we kind of focus all of our audio and video content in a separate section of the website, just like you know uh, Netflix or um, Amazon or or Hulu. And again. There's going to be a separate subscription for that area. So again, if that's what you want from us, you'll subscribe to it. And that's the only people we'll be emailing when we have new things added or anything changes or things are upcoming that, that you might want to be aware of. So it's really changing our behavior from simply telling everybody about everything to telling only those people who have asked to be told about very specific things. And I think that's also going to be how you're going to have to start responding. And again, to Eric's point, yes, it's going to be more work because you'll have to have these narrow little emails that are talking to different groups of people about very specific things. But I think that's going to be the best way to use email going forward, because really the old, the game is not, the, the, the objective is not to send emails out. The objective is to get people to open them, get them back to your website, get them to, uh, download and, and engage with and consume your content so that they can understand better what they're trying to accomplish on their end. Exactly what Eric's saying, like, how are we helping you? And we're going to be helping by providing a lot more audio and video content because that's what people want. 
So again, if they subscribe to that and we're updating that and, sh and alerting them to those uh, new things available, they should be very happy to get those emails and they should not be interested in hiding from us. They should not be interested in using aliases. They should not be interested in blocking us because look, I would never do that to Netflix. I want to see what upcoming shows I can look forward to. And you got to take cues from these media companies because that is the kind of experience our pro your prospects are looking for. Those businesses are training your prospects on how they interact with companies to take a cue from those. I save all my Netflix email now, uh, all my Netflix emails, because I'm very interested in how they communicate with me because I am always excited when I get a Netflix email, because that means there could be a cool show coming up that I'm interested in watching. I want people to feel the same way about the content that Square Two is publishing. And you should think about your content in the same exact way. Anything else, sir? No, that's great. Awesome. So I really appreciate it. We're top of the hour. Thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, I think this was a lively conversation. We had a lot of questions. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about metrics. So we did talk about technology today. Next week, we're going to be talking about metrics, the metrics you need to inform which areas in your marketing sales and customer service areas that need improvement. And again, you can't really have those metrics if you don't have the right technology. So this will play on our conversation today. Hope you join us. If you have questions about metrics or technology, go to our website, find the show at the bottom of the page in the footer, what's wrong with revenue, submit a question. And Eric and I will be happy to address it live. I hope you can join us next week, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time live when we talk about what's wrong with revenue. You don't have the right metrics. And with that, I'll say thank you for joining us today and have a really great rest of your day. Take care.